It's time to take your seat in the front row with Mike Vaccaro. Here's your host, Mike Vaccaro. Thank you, Chuck, and welcome, everybody. Mike Vaccaro back here in the front row, your host here today. Thanks for joining us. Behind the scenes, as always, it's J.R. Quitman, our creator, producer, and director. We're up to episode number 18, and for episode 18, it's sports and cinema that we're talking about. Daniel Hargrave, former UNCW baseball standout, also spent a little time in the minor leagues, now a stuntman in Hollywood. He's done a lot of different stunts, working with his brother Sam Hargrave, also doubled for a time for Chris Evans, Captain America in the Marvel Universe. He tells some of those stories coming up today, episode number 18 of In the Front Row with Mike Picaro. Well, Daniel, first of all, thanks uh, for joining us, man. It's, it's great to catch up with you. It's It's been a while since uh, we last saw you. I last saw you uh, on the baseball field at UNCW as a player. Then as a coach, we're going to dive into that and, and certainly what you're doing now. But uh, uh, for you, I want to go back to the very beginning. And, and again, this is a sports show, so let's start there. Uh, born in Durham, mid-1980s, you grew up in Hurdle Mills, North Carolina, Tell us the place that sports had in your life early on, because obviously it influenced you in your career and, and I'm sure has affected you where, where you're what you're doing right now. Yeah, I mean, for me, sports was huge. That was kind of my uh, my biggest, I guess, because my my dad played college baseball Wake Forest. He always was, you know, super athletic, loved basketball, golf, basically. Since I could walk, I remember we we're playing every sport, basically per the season. If it was football season, we we're throwing football or playing basketball, baseball, we played golf. He'd make us learn tennis. Just a, It was a good way to bond for me and my brother and my dad. Our sister was the oldest. She rode horses, so she didn't really get into the sports world. And then my granddad, my dad's dad, he uh, played professional baseball, and he was always just a huge sports advocate as well. So that was something that all the boys had in common. And you know, as my brother, my brother got older, he migrated more towards the martial arts world. And ultimately, that's what took him into the film business and where he is today. But I stuck, you know, baseball was sort of my passion. I tried. I loved football. I loved basketball. But I was, you know, in high school, I was 5'11", 150 pounds. So I wasn't really knocking anybody on the football field and basketball. I played my uh, couple years in high school, but I knew that wasn't my route. But baseball is just it sort of was always my passion. I think every, you know, just it stuck with me. I knew. I wouldn't say I knew I was good at it, but it was, the, you know, because my dad and my granddad, we had the biggest bond. And that was just sort of what we did, you know, all summer long. And my dad built a batting cage and my granddad would come throw me BP or my dad when he got home from work. So it was just what we loved to do. And it was the great bonding a, a means of bonding for the boys, you know. Yeah, it seems like everybody we've talked to and interviewed, you know, they played a lot of different sports, as you said there yourself. And, and then. At some point, they kind of honed in. When did you kind of hone in on baseball? Because obviously then you went to college to play baseball. So was there a point where you thought, okay, this was the avenue to get me to the next step? I'd say eighth grade was sort of when I realized I was decent. Because, <laughs> you know, growing up, my dad, he actually ran all the youth athletics in our town in Hillsborough. It's called HYAA, Hillsborough Youth Athletic Association. He was the president and sort of chaired all that. And I actually, he wouldn't let me play any organized sports until I was 10. And I always, my friends are playing, I was complaining, but he just, this is his mindset. He saw, he saw so many kids come and go, get burned out or just at the younger levels, which I don't necessarily agree with all this, but he was like, I don't want you to go out there and, and play for some coach who either doesn't know what they're doing or just 
not enjoy it and then and veer off of it. I want you to wait till you can make that decision. And when I was 10, I was able to join, played a little league team. He helped. He didn't head coach. He helped coach, and I loved it. And I, I was like, this is what I want to do. I want to play. And I'd play every year. And then when I got to – I was homeschooled. My parents homeschooled us because in our area the school districts were not – you know, I, they're much better now. They weren't great. My mom was a, a you know, a college – well, she had her master's degree in, in early childhood development and, and teaching. So she thought she could rear us better than probably the public school system. So I was homeschooled, my brother and sister. And then when I got to middle school, I, I wanted to go to school because I, I knew I wanted to play organized sports. All my friends were playing you know, middle school baseball. I wanted to join the team. So I went to school in eighth grade. I played football that year, loved it. I wasn't the biggest, but man, it was so much fun. I mean, just the memories, the friendships and just getting out there and laying down some some pads on guys hitting guys was the best. I mean, I, that was the first time I'd played organized football too. Um, didn't play basketball the year. I, I just prepped ready for baseball. I was so excited for it. And our team, you know, kind of the history of that school, they hadn't lost, you know, in football, we were the first team, the first game of the season that year, we had the first loss in like five years. And then baseball, they had won. I mean, they were a lot of good talent went through that area. And I was, you know, when you're that age, four, 13, 14, you kind of want to carry on the tradition. And I just really wanted to play. We were the Stanford Chargers. That was our Stanford uh, middle school. And it was, you know, in the, in the town, people, we got hundreds of fans. I mean, it was a big thing to, for the, even for a middle school game. They'd come to middle school and then they'd go watch the high school guys. So eighth grade, I really honed in on it. I, I had hit my growth spurt. I was, you know, not the biggest, but I was close to being fully grown. I started throwing a little harder. I could hit harder. And then, I mean, before that season, I maybe had hit two home runs ever in my life. And that year I hit, uh, I set a school record. I hit 11 home runs. I'm here in eighth grade. It was just something, it all just came together. I just found my swing. I found everything. And I just remember, you know, that these are, it's funny. I haven't talked about this in so long, but I, it was kind of fun. I mean, that, you know, it'd come and my, my granddad would sit in the stands. I'd hear him yelling. I mean, he'd, he'd pay me every time I hit a home run. So I'd hear him say something and, uh, I'd sort of laugh and I hit a home run and then he'd give me $20 afterwards or something. But I say eighth grade was really when I hit my stride. And then, you know, I realized I didn't even know this is how funny, like before social media, I was just some, this, this country kid. I didn't even know, didn't even really think about that college baseball was something that you could do. I just loved playing and I was so competitive. It was so much fun. And then when we got to, you know, next year going to the high school, uh, made the JV team. And then at the end of the season, I got pulled up to varsity. Uh, that's a, a memory I'll never forget striking out to end our season hopes. They put me in. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was a, uh, they, they pinch it a freshman for a senior two outs last inning. And uh, uh, it was interesting. I, I, I mean, the left-hander from Jordan high school stone about 94 miles an hour and smoked me three pitches. I was out and I was like, oh, welcome to welcome to varsity baseball. But uh I still just loved it. I played third base then. I really wanted to be a catcher. My, my dream, I loved catching more than anything. I caught in middle school and pitched some. Never played middle infield, really. I just My dad calls it the tools of ignorance. I loved the gear. I loved the collision. I wanted to catch, so I didn't catch in high school. They had a, a upperclassman. Then, let's see, 10th grade. You know, still, I, it started becoming more reality I wanted to play. And then um, Josh Horton was my best friend in high school. You know, he went to UNC Chapel Hill. He started getting a lot of scouts coming to see him. He hit this huge growth spurt. He's like 6'2", long, lanky, and just became a man's man in like 10th grade. Got a lot of attention, and I was sort of playing second fiddle, which I didn't I didn't care. It was great. They're all there to see him. I would do my thing, and 
that's sort of how I got seen a little bit, you know, just happen chance. You know, I didn't, I still wasn't thinking like I'm going to go play college baseball. I just wanted to, I didn't even think I was going to go to college. I just wanted to, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't really have any goals or aspirations really towards in baseball. I just knew I loved it. And when it was baseball, like a game, I just would zone out completely. And I was so locked in and that was just, I didn't even, I, you couldn't even tell you if there's fans. It was just that I was so, I guess, ingrained and just loved it so much. It was like, it was a baseball game. I was just in it a hundred percent lived it. And just afterwards, it's like you black out and then you come out of it. So yeah, I just lived in the moment. It's like, man, this is, this is the best. And then as I got going, you know, 10th grade, 11th grade is when, you know, we had a, another solid team. I, that was when we started having, I remember NC state came to see Josh. We were in the gym practicing, uh, Tar Heels, some guys come to see him. I was like, Oh, maybe this is reality. And, I wouldn't get any calls. It was like, oh, this is weird. Josh is getting all the information. And then uh, next year we went to state games and uh, sort of that's when I realized I, I had a, an awesome tournament at the state games. And that's, and again, I just went there. I, I didn't even, this is, I hate this. I'll say it. But we had a family vacation planned and my arm was hurting. I had some tendonitis in my elbow. Our school season was over. We had just played uh, like a summer ball season. Legion, I was just sort of burned out. Like, I'm tired. I'm, you know, 17 here. I'm like, I just want to – don't want to touch a baseball for a little while. I just need a little break. And state games tryouts came up, and I was like, I'm not even going to go. I don't even want to go. And I told Coach Deese, Coach Dean Deese at Orange, I was like, I don't even want to try out. He said, I think that's a mistake. So I went home, thought about it. My dad said, you're going. So I, I drove myself to practice or to the tryouts had a decent tryout, made the team. I was like, ah, now I got to go play. So we went to state games. I just went off, had a great tournament. We actually, the day we got done with the tournament, the next day we got on a plane. We went out of the country, went to um, St. Martin. My parents had been playing this forever because I was about, you know, getting older is the last time they're going to have a trip with all the kids. Went to St. Martin, came home and had, you know, like every team had called me, left me a message, wow. but I just was off the radar. So they thought I was just ignoring them. Cause I remember the first time I called anybody back, like, damn, it's been a week. We called you when the interview and nobody called me back. So yeah, that was sort of my, my, my baseball story getting into, you know? So, so you go to a tryout that you don't want to go to and all of a sudden you become a, a commodity on the, on the college level. Uh, when did UNCW materialize as, as a school that was recruiting you and, and as a potential place for you to go and continue at being a baseball player? I mean, honest. I had I had all the phone calls, the messages. I went through, called every coach, and uh, talked to them. And Coach Scott Jackson and Randy Hood had both called me, left me messages. I mean, uh, you know, the recruiting game. You know, for people that don't know, it's, it's all how you talk and what you get guys into. But just talking to them, they were so professional. They they liked what I did. And then to another, this is I'm, I'm this isn't how I played, but I played like I had so much fun, and it was all about fun for me and. Josh was on there too. So Josh was playing shortstop. I was playing second base. And honestly, during even this is going back to state games, like during infield, we, I, I blame Chris Maples. He played at Orange High School, played at UNC Chapel Hill, played in the Detroit Tigers organization for a long time, but he was so much fun to be around. And during infield, like we would just try stuff. I would always backhand glove flip or uh, stuff that, you know, traditional infield is like, just do go by the book, double play, make your backhand, just do stuff. But we would, we'd mess around because we would actually make these plays in games and we always practice them. And at state games, Josh and I were hot dogging a little bit, not trying to show off or do anything, but just because we were having fun, you know, when we get on the field, we would try to show each other up. And uh, first day of infield, they hit my slow roller at the end and I come through and I would, 
I practice this all the time, but I would barehand it and throw it between my legs as I ran. It's sort of a like I was off balance and throw it. Hit the guy right in the chest, perfect. Ran off the dugout. You know, that was just how I that was like my sign off. Thought nothing of it. And I had numerous coaches leave me messages and tell me, like, man, you're you're a hot dog. I don't know if we want you in our program. We liked your talent, but I just don't know if you're a good fit. And I was like, wow, it really took me back. Cause I was like, I hundred percent was not trying to show off. I was just I do this because I've actually made that play in a game where I, I caught it, I fell and I threw it and we practice these things because you your legs, you did that in a high school game? I did, yeah. And uh had wow. I not I mean I just something we always practiced and Coach D I think it drove him crazy at first, but then he would even that'd become a drill where you 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 dive, you use your glove because you never know. Stuff happens and it's just because you practice it. Now when you watch the big leaguers, they're always doing this stuff, you know, the routine it's very seldom. I mean, I say 90% of the time is routine, but that other 10%, you have to be able to make up stuff and, and make a play. So anyway, the, a couple of coaches, I was like, wow, that kind of threw me off a little bit. And uh, I, a couple of schools were like, nah, we're writing you off because we don't like your style. Wow. So I said, okay, uh, that's great. And then Randy was great. Scott was great. And this is, I mean, I'm telling my dad's going to kill me for saying all this, but another Big thing for me was not having morning workouts because I hated early mornings. So one of the first questions I would ask coaches was, "What's when do you guys hit the weights? When do you run? Do you do morning workouts?" And at the time, Wilmington said, "No, we do afternoon workouts." So I was like, "I love it. Let's uh, let's come check it out. You're at the beach." Uh, I didn't know anything about the program. I only thing I really knew was East Carolina because Brett Braxton had gone there out of high school, and I knew some of my friends went East Carolina. And still, I mean, this is before. Instagram, Facebook. I was so oblivious going into this. I'd I'd never been to a college baseball game. I'd been to the Durham Bulls. I'd never been to a big league game. I was just call it ignorance is bliss, I guess. 18 year olds and never really had a clue what was going on. So uh I came on my visit. I was like, yeah, this is it. My mom took me on my recruiting visit. Kenny Smith was my host. I never forget Kenny. He's like, we're going out. We're gonna go to a dinner, go go see some friends. I said, cool. He shows up in a black turtleneck and some slacks. I'm like, who the hell is this guy? And I'll tell Kenny that to his face. I was like, I, I, I'm not used to seeing guys like this. So we went to dinner and went to a little party. Met, I met the team. It was super cool, super inviting. And I was like, man, this I I think this is uh, this is it. The field. I mean, the showing the seeing the. I mean, it's nothing compared to what it is today with all the indoor facilities and stuff. But you know, the field was beautiful. Uh, the team was great. I went the next day to practice, watched some practice, and I, I committed. I was like, yeah, I'll come here. Yeah, two, yeah. 2005 to 2008, you were a Seahawk. You're playing for Mark Scaff. You just said, you know, assistant coach Randy Hood, assistant coach Scott Jackson, who's now the head coach at Liberty. And and, and you came at a good time. I mean, this was a, a good program. You had good talent on your teams. Uh, you won a couple of championships. You went to uh, NCAA tournaments as well. I want to talk about a couple of the, the years here. Uh, 2006, uh, again, you win a CA title. Um, NCAA regional in Chapel Hill as well. So for you, it was close to home, right? The, the, a little special, more more meaningful for you to play in a regional and play so close to, to home for you? I mean, honestly, no. I, I think deep down we – I know my freshman year we were all very disappointed. We didn't – I thought we had a great season that year. We didn't make a regional, which was a, a, a big gut punch to everybody. I mean, I thought we should have not maybe hosted, but we should have definitely been in there. And it was a it was hard pill to swallow. I think sophomore year, uh, we were just glad to be representing again. You know, because for us, we came in as freshmen. You know, you don't want to be the guys that come in and, and let the team down. I, I feel like because there was some of us who played quite a bit, myself and Jason Appel and 
Um, it just, it, it hit home, you know, like this is reality. They'd gone before it was all this big talk. We didn't make it. So I think coming back, we just wanted to go to regional playing in, in, in Chapel Hill was great just because it was, it was home, but also I don't think that was a fair draw going because that year, I mean, not that we weren't, we were extremely talented, but I mean, that was probably one of the most stacked regionals and we were a high seed. I mean, you had a uh, UNC that year was ridiculous. And then all the other teams there, I just thought, you know, we, we should have gone somewhere else, honestly. I mean, the way the, the program, way it works is the seeding doesn't always match up. And, yeah, it was close to home. It was great. But um, I think we were a little bit bummed that we were going there because, you know, we, we could have won easily. We had the team. We just didn't perform as well. But always going to go to a regional where it's a little little less daunting. Yeah, you, I mean, those guys were stacked that year. You, yeah. You're firing, you know, big leaguer after big leaguer coming in there to pitch with – Andrew Miller, Bard, those guys, you're like, okay, what, what else you got? <laughs> well, UNCW had some future big leaguers as well. Chris Hatcher, who would be a, a catcher and then a pitcher a pitcher in, in major leagues. John Rayner as well. So, obviously, you had some talent on some of those teams that, that you were on, some of the teams when you were a, a younger player. Did you learn some some good lessons from them and how they carried themselves? Yes, I would say. And here's this is also going back. In hindsight, it's the whole thing, as I get older, it's ridiculous, but – Every player, once you get to college, man, like for me, going to the regionals, these they're all the same. Like I'm playing against Josh. I'm playing with the guys I've played with my whole life. They're wearing a Tar Heel uniform. We're wearing a Seahawk. Everybody's so good. And I think sometimes teams psych themselves out. Yeah, they have a bigger stadium or they have more fans, but I think guys put, put each other on pedestals just because of a school they go to, which is so unnecessary. Because if you go in there and everybody's record zero zero, it's just a bunch of kids playing baseball. And I think – for us, we put too much pressure on ourselves, and um, we we thought they we th- not thought they were better. We we were fierce and competitive, and Coach Scaff and Hood and everybody was they drive in your mind. They're just the other guys. But I think sometimes, you know, even if accidentally, you kind of put more pressure on yourselves. But one thing, learning circling back to John like Rayner and Hatcher, those guys they they were they were just a different breed. You know, the way they showed up, the way they prepared, even if they're having a bad day, they're they're still levels above everybody else that's one thing you learn like for me yeah I'm, i played college i played a year of professional i had to have my best game like i talent wise i might not have been the most talented i would play hard i wouldn't lay me out play me but if i had a bad game usually it showed these guys could still have a bad game and be unbelievable you know especially john he's such a talented you know top-notch speed and arm and hitting and, and chris the same thing it's just but their preparation i mean I wouldn't say they prepared any different than the rest of us. I think their talent was just so paramount compared to ours that, you know, they would just do their thing and you're like, okay, this guy's, he's, he's got something special, you know? Well, you got something special is, you know, going into your senior year and, and that year was an all conference year for you. Another regional appearance again, hosted by, by North Carolina this time in, in Cary. And for me, what sticks out obviously in that regional that come from behind win against Elon, uh, you know, you go into the ninth and you're down 11 to four, Top of the ninth inning, elimination game, your season is is over, right? What was it like? Take us through being in the dugout there, and then as that inning unfolded and you start coming back as a team, what was that like? Man, I haven't talked about this. It's funny reliving these, but, man, um, from what I remember, it's – it's. Uh, I mean, I won't lie again. You, you kind of – you're it's in the ninth, you're down 11 to four. You're kind of like in the back of your mind like, damn, season's over, just go up there and get your last hack in, whoever's up to hit. And then you, I don't even remember who started the inning, but you, you see a you see a hit, you're like, oh, okay. 
good for him. He's, he's getting one last hit in for the season, you know. Somebody else gets a hit. Okay, yeah, all right, cool. Let's keep it going. You try to cheer each other on. Then you, I mean, obviously, you you believe you can win. You never you never cash it in. But it's always you know it is pretty daunting being down that many many that many runs, and you start to let doubt creep in. But then just something felt like I don't know. It was this something was palpable. The uh, the energy like as soon as the first guys got a hit, and you just walk up and down the dugout because I'd always pace walking that, and you see this this look in everybody's eye like uh, something something's special is about to happen. I don't know what's going on right now. It just felt in the air. You could feel like, okay, this something is like swinging our way right now. And then, you know, next guy gets a hit. We score a run. We, we score another run and we keep going through. And it was once it almost became laughable. I'm in the dugout. We we're laughing, having a good time cutting up because like we couldn't get out. We just kept hitting. And, but they boot a ball. We hit one. It's like, this is happening, guys. Let's, this is unbelievable. Let's just keep rolling. And even Coach Hood's laughing like, let's, let's just do what we can do. And then I mean, it's so crazy that we came back. I, I remember we hit that, you know, the winning run. It's just like <laughs> you're, you're almost laughing. Like I, I almost feel bad for them that they just blew it so bad. But, uh, yeah, that was – it was a, la- a, a, a thoroughly enjoyable, like one of the – probably the most fun games because you're, you're, you're on this roller coaster. And like I said, the emotions, like you're playing good. Then your season's over. You're coming back. You're like, you know, it's, as a senior, you're like, ah, I don't want to end this way and we're going to fight our way. And then you're just like – you're so high, and then you have to come back and play a game after that. Like, you know, come back. Like, how do we how do we rein this in and, and harness this to go back and try to win another one? So, it was yeah. wild. It was a crazy game. Yeah, I think that was one of the most crazy games I've ever called. As you said, uh, again, the come from behind, the roller coaster. You score eleven runs and you win that game. You know, fifteen to eleven after trailing eleven to four going into that ninth inning. So. You know, a, a great way for you, again, to cap your career. And you look at some of the numbers, your first tilt in, in runs scored, uh, seventh in hits, fourth in RBIs, first in total bases, fourth in hit by pitch, your third in home runs with 39, just just one shy of the school record. Uh, do you think about that? Do you, do you think about some of those numbers or, or is it more the relationships that, that you look back at your time at UNCW? Man, uh I think I should have the home run record if they didn't make me bunt so much. <laughs> I hold, I hold this, I hold Mark Scampers at Randy Hood, who made you bunt? Uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll talk about this later. But <laughs> I mean, my, my senior year, I don't know. Honestly, I think I, I – I think about the numbers jokingly. It's so, you know, at the time I wanted to be the home run leader, and that was sort of a thing. But I, I'm uh, my, probably a game that sums it up is James Madison. I hit second, you know, Jason's hitting whatever third and then Carver's hitting fourth. And, uh, I just remember leadoff guy gets on. I hit a home run. Bam. Awesome. Next time up lead guy gets on bunt. I'm like, come on. I bunt Jason rolls one over. So you got two outs got on third Carver hits a home run. Great. Next time up bunt. Jason rolls one over. I mean, nothing is Jason, but he might've got a hit, but I'm like, okay. And then I hit another home run. So I had, Two home runs, and I was just – at that series, I was just on fire. And then every time I'd see the bunt, it was almost a joke. Like, Hood would give me the bunt sign, and I'd be like, come on, man, just let me swing. Like, this, Jason can hit a home run too. He can he can knock one in. But I, it was a team thing. I'm not – I'll never – you know, I was 100% team guy. I'm never going to complain or – I was I was good at bunting, and I knew my role. That's my job. Hey, I'm going to put a bunt down because 
to be fair, I struck out my fair share of times. I probably have the record for strikeouts as well. So, uh, uh, the record, but you're, but you're, yeah, I'm pretty close. Me and Josh Bonifay, we like to swing and miss a little bit, but that goes back to when I was younger, you know, uh, swing hard in case you hit it. That's what my, my granddad would say. I'm not blaming him for anything, but, uh, yeah. And then I had some funny, funny coaches all growing up in high school. Matt McKay was our assistant coach was just a character. He played independent ball for years was one of the best independent ball players and catcher. And he had all these sayings and he'd say singles are stupid, uh, hit doubles or home runs. Cause he didn't like to run. He was like catcher, you know, so obviously it's a joke, but we would, I would, I think I said it on the field one time and Scaff made me run laps. Cause I was joking, but he said, that's bullshit, Danny, get running. And, uh, I said, well, I was just joking, but okay, I'll run. Uh, yeah. I mean, I look at the numbers, from from where I am now, they you know whatever. But at the time, it, it grinds you a little bit. Like man, I could hit one more home run, two more home runs, or done this, done that. But you know, it, that's life. You know, <laughs> but as long as the team was winning, I mean, there was yeah. plenty of games where I went over or had a hat trick or three strikeouts and we'd win. So you know, nobody was patting me on the back for that. So. Yeah, definitely is a, a great program. They, they preach family and preach team, and certainly that, that was the case with you. So despite Randy Hood making you bun all the time, you get drafted, drafted by the, the Phillies, and you go to Williamsport. But what was that transition like for you, going from the collegiate level, now it's a business, now it's on the professional level. How hard was it a transition for you? It was it was different. It was uh, – and honestly, this was – it was a weird time. Um, I was kind of in a – a funk at the end of the season, my senior year, I had a great year, that tournament, which, and this is just reality. I was off to go. Um, I mean, just coach Hood had, had summed it up. I remember my sophomore year, we were, that's when we started meeting, but I forgot the sports psychologist guy, but he would say, um, he wanted to get me more consistent. Cause he said, you can either be the best hitter in the country, or the worst hitter in the country depends on the week. And I take all this with a grain of salt, but it was true. Cause there was days of the, it was, I was seeing a beach ball and I could do no wrong. And there were some days I just could not pick up spin and I, I'd get my eyes looked at. I, I had, my vision was fine. I don't know what it was. I would just get in these funks and it was frustrating. I, so I wasn't the most consistent guy. I, w- I was up and down, which translating, you know, my numbers were fine, but if I could go back, I would try to find a, a better way to be more consistent. And my senior year at the very end, I was in a funk mentally, um, this, you know, in the real, if you look at the numbers, I had like 21 errors that year. My, my, I had the yips kind of this, this thing was going on and I d- couldn't explain it. The most routine, if, if, if it was hit right to me, oh my God, I could not hit a guy in the chest to save my life. And it, to me, it kind of actually translated from defense to offense. It's at the end, it sort of snowballed and I was just, it was just sort of a, I was having some issues with it. And then, so when I got drafted, um, my, I went to spring to, uh, mini camp down there in Florida. And I was super excited. You know, look, I'm going to get a chance to play pro ball. I, I was hoping to just wash everything out and go in new team. Nobody's seen me make errors. Cause I, I just, I carried it heavy with me. It was just very, not like a, a mental burden, but it was like, I'm better than this. And I didn't know how to fix it. And that was very frustrating. So I go into mini camp, uh, played pretty well, but my swing, I just, God, I could not figure it out. I, I so my swing completely changed. I went from my stance I'd had all year. I was trying everything. I'd be up back and just, just something to like get my brain going. And I hit pretty well in minicamp. So I was like, they're like, this isn't the swing we've seen. We scouted you, but whatever. And then I get to Williamsport. And um, I think the hardest part for me was not playing every day, not being consistent. 
because I was, you know, we had two second basemen because I was a middle of the pack, 22nd rounder. So you play two days here, two days there. And I could never get in a role, never get in a groove. We're playing, I mean, when you get to the minors, even if we were playing short season A ball, so you're playing all the really good rookies or college guys. So there's no there's no slack and a lot of good breaking balls, a lot of two seamers, a lot more movement than you'd see in college. You know, college, your, your starter or your closers are solid. Use it the middle. If you get in the middle relievers, you got a little break and you can pad your stats. But these guys are studs, hitting with a wood bat full time. So there was a lot kind of all happening and being away from home. Williamsport was, it was great. The people were great, but it was not the most fun place to be. I'll give it to them. Uh, so it was a lot in, in hindsight, it's all hundred percent my fault. I just let it kind of snowball and, and didn't have the greatest season. I, I get kind of down on myself and, uh, me being how I'd want, I'd almost overwork. I'd like, I'd go hit extra in the cage and instead of just maybe taking, as I've learned, take a step away from it, come back the next day and try. I would just, I got to fix it. So I'd, I'd hit for hours or I'd go throw and I just even mess myself even more. Um, but my team and my coaches were, it was the best experience ever. Dusty Watham was our manager. Uh, Eric Valent was our hitting coach. And these guys were unbelievable. The first game we played, we actually played against Mark Carver against the Pittsburgh Pirates organization. And we go up to uh, College Station up at Penn State and we get smoked. First game, we're all stoked. We're Phillies. We're going to go out there. We get pounded. And we're in the we're in the uh, locker room after the game because we're all college all college kids. And usually, you know, this is this totally different in college. You only play five games a week, so if you lose, it's you take it very personal. We're gonna we're gonna get them next game, and you, everybody's a little down and somber, and we're all just sitting there quiet. And Coach Watham walks in with no shirt on, with a beard. He's like, "I won't curse, but what the f's wrong with you guys?" And we're like, "Huh?" He's like, "We're planning in tomorrow. Who gives a crap?" We're like, "What? What's, what's this guy saying?" He's like, "Get up, go go get some food, go home, and we're planning in tomorrow. Get it out of here." And we're like, "Well, okay, this is totally different." So that mentality. Not saying college guys need to have that, but it was so became a business. Today's over. Wash it out. We'll come back tomorrow. Who cares? You went over. You had a bad game. And it was kind of a refreshing just mental break from these guys. And they'd be joking. They're in the locker room. Not that they didn't take it serious, but it's a long season. It's a business. They've been around forever. So it was just a total, total different to me. Like in college, you know, they're, they're all your brothers. You got 30, 40 guys who you spend every day with all day. They're your best buddies. You're in class with them. you train the gym everything these guys you come you play some guys would hang out some guys would go do their own thing you don't all speak the same language so it was very very different so that was actually uh it was a kind of a cool moment to say okay they're not mad at us we're, we're playing the game we're coming back tomorrow we're professionals they're treating us like professionals and um i think that set the precedent for the season i think everybody relaxed a little bit and we had a little more fun and uh, yeah, but this, the learning, those guys, stories and the stuff they tell you, and you're, you're trying to focus and they're joking with your zip tying my pants to the ball bucket for I'm going to hit. And the coach is doing that. I'm like, well, I'm supposed to be playing here. These guys are nuts. So it was, it was a fun experience. Yeah. That, that was in 2008 for you. And, and I guess you were released in 2009, right? And, and, and your brother at the time, you mentioned the, the mixed martial arts, he became a stunt man, got into that. And um, you got your first taste of that is, uh, you know, you're learning and trying to see what's next for you. Tell us about that first experience that you had on a set and, and making that transition. Okay. My, my playing career is over. I got to do something. Let's give this a shot. Yeah. I, I, uh, so I got released. It was, I knew it was coming. I had terrible spring training. I, uh, all off season, I, I went in there. I thought I was prepared, but I just, I didn't perform. I think ultimately 
mentally I just wasn't, um, I didn't give up, but, uh, I, I don't know. It's, it's a weird in, in life, you know, sometimes you, it just hits. And I was just like, I don't know if this is what I want to do anymore. I love baseball, but I, I didn't love what was happening. I didn't love where I was mentally. I wasn't performing. They cut me. I knew it was coming and it was, it was hard, hard pill to swallow because the first time in my life I had ever been told I wasn't good enough at something. So it was very humbling. Um, I flew home, was sort of down. My brother was on a movie called, um, warrior they're shooting in pittsburgh pennsylvania with tom hardy um and it was an mma mma movie they were shooting in pittsburgh and he and his buddies were up there been training for six months they're all just jacked out of their mind and uh performing i had never been to a set and didn't know anything was going on so sam called me he's like hey man so i know you're done with baseball why don't you come try stunts and i was like i don't really want to it's not my thing and i was very much like that also he had his things i had my things we were both good at it but we didn't you know, we were best friends growing up, but we definitely were had our own things. And I was like, nah, I'm good. He's like, what else are you going to do? I was like, I have no idea. <laughs> so my dad, mom, like, just try it. So I get on a plane. I go to Pittsburgh. I train with these guys for a week. They're just, I'm the, the fresh meat. So they're beating the crap out of me. And um, I'd never done a night shoot. So my first time on set, we're shooting in Pittsburgh overnight. And it's like 30 degrees outside. And we're shooting a, a cage fight match. So we're in just shorts freezing I'm like, this is miserable you guys do this for a living so it's like four in the morning my brother he's so good he'd be over there sleeping and they say uh stunts get ready so he wakes up he, he jumps around does a flip he's like let's go and i'm like what the heck <laughs> so i get in there and he and i actually did a little fight together and i was uh just playing a random guy he was doubling the main actor my five seconds of fame we go in there and slam everybody's cheering and the cameras are rolling this is pretty cool it was miserable and then um that was it i mean i was I trained for a week. I get on camera for maybe five seconds. I was like, this is pretty cool. And then, I, uh, but it wasn't, it didn't hit me like this, this is my love. You know, these guys are, it's a different, different brotherhood, different world. I'm not, I didn't really feel part of it yet. So I said, thanks. I think, um, cause they were, they, the, his boss, JJ Perry, who's actually a good friend of mine now, he's a director and uh, just a great filmmaker, stunt coordinator. He said, all right, pack your bags. You're moving to LA. And I was like, nah, I don't think I am. I have a girlfriend back in North Carolina and, I don't think I'm ready to go to California. So maybe pump the brakes here. <laughs> so I went home. I, I didn't pursue it. I said, you know, thanks. I had my SAG card, but I didn't pursue it. I was like, I think I'm, I'm good on it. So then I actually called Coach Jackson. I was like, hey, man, who's, who's the volunteer this year? I kind of want to try my hand at coaching baseball. He said, sure, we'll, let's figure it out. So I came back. Um, he, had actually, he actually moved on. So Howell, Coach Howell came in as the pitch coach. And I was the volunteer assistant. So I went back to UNCW, couldn't get, I loved it. And I just, it was just a, it was just a, became a, re, a time where I was like, I need to pay the bills. I can't work off. You know, bless these guys. It's amazing what the volunteers do. I mean, I worked hard. I honestly, still my first year of coaching, I worked more hours than I do now, harder. And, you know, you're like, I can't even fill my car up with gas. <laughs> it's, it's love. You know, I, I just want to be with the guys and hang out and just learn from the coaches. And, but the love of something only goes so far as far as paying bills and paying rent. So was it a, obviously it's a different transition going from playing and going back to, to being a coach. How did you change your mindset? And did you have to change your mindset being a coach, especially where you were the, the player previously? Yeah, I had to change. I mean, cause I thought as a player, especially my last years, I, I led more, um, Led more, but I try to lead by example. I, I've never been still to this day. I never, I'm never going to get 
he's mad, yell at people. I think I'm a firm believer in unless there's just something completely wrong with you in the brain, people know when they mess up, especially on the field. If you boot a ball, you strike out. It's not like, oh, I was trying to do that. You, you don't yell at them. You, you build them back up. You lead like, let's just go out there, get after it, play even harder, get them next time. Um, it was harder to do that from the dugout because you weren't really playing and leading, like setting the example energy wise. I tried to just bring energy. I mean, I, I was the bottom of, you know, obviously they're going to listen to Hood or Scaff or Hal. Those are the coaches who are really giving them the specifics. I tried to more, I was more like a cheerleader. I was, you know, I'm, I'm not far removed. I'm only one year out of playing. I still know what it's like. I'm trying to bridge the gap between Coach Scaff, who's, you know, you got Gandalf here and then me, you know, you're trying, it, it, sometimes it's hard, honestly, for, I think, to take that step back. I mean, this guy's been around the game so long. He knows so much. He's so knowledgeable, but also trying to get, take that, what you know, put it into an 18 year old's brain and, and try to make that connection. Cause you know, we're young, we know everything or just the way to kind of communicate. So I, I was trying to just be that liaison or like, Hey, he's not mad at you. This is what he wants you to do. Go do this. Or the, co- the from the player, like coach, he's, He's, this is what we're trying to make these guys mesh. So that was kind of – I embraced that role. So I wasn't really – I wasn't a player anymore. I wasn't really like the the coach teaching them all the stuff. I was trying to just help everybody get along and, I guess, interpret everybody's language there. And then for me, you know, being on that side, gosh, you get all the meetings and you learn – you learn real quick. Like Coach Hood might show up at the field and he's in a pissy mood. You're like, what happened to him? Well, there's a lot goes on besides just coming out there and hitting ground balls and throwing BP. You know, you might have – somebody's getting in trouble in class and they have to hear it. They have to deal with the teachers or they have to deal with the athletic director schedule. There's so much that goes on behind the scenes. You don't know as a player, cause you know, we're just show up, put our uniform, we go play, we go home, we hang out with the buddies, but these guys are just working their tails off. And I get it. You know, you get frustrated when stuff doesn't go right or if you have to deal with stuff. So my first year was feeling it out. My second year, uh, I, I tried to take on a little more coaching and I would work more with the infielders or hitters. I try to be more of a coach and, try to show that I could, you know, be, you know, if, if I wanted to do this for a living. And I, you know, coach, coach, they put me at third base. I was, you know, sending runners. I got a few guys hosed. I'll never forget those <laughs> hearing it from the, hearing it from the fans, but uh, they gave me a lot more responsibility and I loved it. And, you know, ultimately I got offered a, a job after that year to go be a recruiting coordinator. I forgot what the, um, it wasn't at, it was a smaller school. And I was just like, man, I just don't know the dollar amount as I don't know if I can do this. I love it so much, but I, I, I'm not seeing people, my family. I'm not seeing my, my girlfriend as much as I want. I don't know financially. They're bigger men than I am put it that way, you know, to, 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 to earn my stripes that way. I felt like I was starting from scratch. And I just didn't know. And so I sort of took a step away and that was the end of my baseball. Yeah. 2010, 2011, the, the coach there, as you said, did a lot of different things. First base coach, third base coach at times. And then, some odd jobs. You actually worked for your, your, your future wife's family's business, I guess, for a little while. And, yeah. and then your brother came calling a second time. And, and, you know, why was it different the second time? Because uh, you had this opportunity once again. What, what changed in your mind that, okay, let's give this another shot. And maybe this is where my, my future is. I think it was a, just a mindset. I'd, I'd matured a little bit. And um, also, if probably because now – the second time it could be my choice to do it. It wasn't like he got me in, but I'm forever grateful for working with their family. They had a, a two power sports businesses and one was just needing some help. So I started um, in the Greenville store. I was called the yard guy. So I was the, um, I was like the lowest of 
below, I, I clean up, pick up trash. And I learned, and I, I basically learned everything from the ground up. I learned, I took out the trash every day. I swept the floors. I learned how to build the machines. So I learned the business and it was amazing. I learned and then I progressed my way up after the first couple of years uh, to sales manager. I dealt sales. I learned about machines. She was doing finance. Um, and God bless if you can, you know, we're, I mean, we spend all day together anyway. We work together still, but, you know, it, we realized because at the time we were only dating, we weren't even engaged. I was working with her, you know, all day driving an hour and a half from Goldsboro back and forth every day to work. So you spend like it became like I I'm with this woman all the time. And I that's when we actually got engaged. So you know, we worked together. I think it built our relationship even stronger, hers and mine. And then uh, just work with her family. But you know, it was kind of one of those things where ultimately I didn't want to be a salesman my whole life because I love people. But, you know, getting cursed out by somebody or coming. It was always something going wrong, you know, and that's one thing for people to listen. If your car is in the shop or don't take it out on the guy who's answering the phone because he's just trying to make a dollar and he's trying his best. <laughs> man, and I, because when I came manager, man, oh, I was like the, the vocal dartboard. That's everybody just talk to him, talk to him. And I just get all at the end of the day, I was like, oh my gosh, it's like, I just been assaulted. But um, so Sam called me on the movie called Hunger Games. And I was kind of, you know, we were working, we had a good job, but he was like, look, you come in here. I think you have fun. Try it again. And I was like, you know what? Yeah, let's give it a whirl. So I talked to her parents since I need to take a week off. They said, cool, go for it. And I went and it was a totally different, I don't know, like I said, if, because maybe I had matured a little bit or there's a different group of people. And I went in, it was so much like the baseball world where um, the first scene I did was, uh, it was about 20 stunt guys, night shoots again, but it was just the camaraderie, the friendships, and you're watching these guys perform. And maybe because I got to see more people perform different stunts and there's like these guys doing big high falls and fights. And there's so much that can go into this filmmaking. You're just watching like, wow, this is, it's amazing to see there's so many talented people and there's basically a different skill set for everything. So I think there is a place for me. And, and that was what, 2013. Yeah. Um, you know, you doubled for Liam Hemsworth, I guess, on, on the Hunger Games as well. And then eventually your, your, your brother started doubling for Chris Evans, Captain America, the, the Marvel Universe. What was that like? Because you know, how did that get you connected to that? Well, Sam, you know, he'd been in the business for, uh, gosh, probably eight years before I got in the business. So he had, I mean, this guy moved to L.A. when he was 18, 19 years old, didn't know a soul. He uh, was just super talented, crazy. And nothing, he, he's one of these guys that nobody's going to tell him no. He's going to get to where he's going. And he's, whether blood, sweat, and tears, he's going to outwork you. And he got this uh, name in the business for being, one, he's just a good guy to be around. But he was so tough, uh, you couldn't kill him. And he you hit him with a car and he gets he pops right back up. Let's do it again. And it's like, oh, God, easy guy. But he became so tough and he uh, he won all these awards for hardest hit. Like the World Taurus Awards are just like the stunt world's Oscars. So he's won all these big awards. And his name already the Hargrave name. Like I had name in baseball, he had in stunts. So as I got in, um, he gave me my start, my first job. And then he said, I gave you your start. Now I'm not going to hire you again. You have to go out and learn to hustle, which hustling means you have to get a headshot and a resume and you go, it's the most awkward thing in the world is you go onto a film set and you find the stunt coordinator and you go shake their hands and say, Hey, I'm, I'm Daniel Hargrave or I'm Mike Vaccaro. I want to, here's my headshot. Here's my resume. Here's what I can do. I'm, I need a job. And they look at you and, Okay. If some guys are nice and they'll give you the time of day, otherwise they're like, get the hell off my set, like get out of here. So you're like, okay, I'm trying to work. It's, it's just a weird way of trying to get work. So I had to learn that he wasn't going to hire me. So then 
I'd blast emails and I'd finally get some jobs. And I, I will, you know, I did get some jobs because of my name, my heart rate. They're like, Oh, we know your brother. And whether it was good or bad, either they loved him or they hated him. So I would get hired sometimes both one. If a, a coordinator didn't like him, they would hire me and give me a crazy spot and try to mess me up. <laughs> or if it was his friends, he, and he had this tough, tough nut, uh, just persona. So they put me in some tough spots. So I learned pretty quick to, you know, protect myself and learn how to fall and get up. And it, I mean, it was, it was a crazy way to start, but knowing how tough he was, I had to sort of follow in suit if I was going to survive in the world. So. And I guess maybe do you go back to your childhood because you guys were kind of making movies growing up together. And, uh, you know, so was that something that he always wanted to do? And then all of a sudden, you know, years later, you're working together on movie sets. It had to be crazy to think that. Yeah. As a kid, he, you know, he's three years older, but he's, he's always been reading books and just watching movies. And he was so smart. And as a kid, hindsight, my friends would come over and there's three or four of us running around. He would play with us, but basically he would tell us what to do uh, directing the whole time. So then we have little homemade videos where my sister would run the camera and he's directing and me and my buddy Clint, we'd, we'd do a fight scene and he'd come in and beat, he was always the hero. He'd beat us up or he'd tell us how to fall or he'd throw us through a window. So it kind of, it's the exact same thing. We just get paid more money and we're adults. Well, we pretend to be adults now, but uh, yeah, he's, it's, it's crazy going full circle, like making the same type of movies and he's the same boss and working with him. I mean, we, we get on set, we're, I mean, we're still best buddies and we, we clown around a lot. And probably my accent's a little thick right now because I've been around the South, but we try to hide it in LA or in the Hollywood business. Cause you try to have no accent. Cause they're like, Oh, you're from the South. But when we get around each other, we just become <laughs> like, I never knew he was from the South or we just have a good time. And that makes work so much more enjoyable. But uh, back to your Chris Evans question. He, you know, he started doubling Chris. He did Avengers, civil war, all these big movies. And he and Chris had a good relationship. And then he graduated to or moved on to stunt coordinating and directing. Um, he and I are the same size, same height. I actually uh, doubled Chris for the last two Avengers. So, and it worked out. I've doubled Chris a few more times and it helped out being the same size, but also, I mean, I had to, there was four other guys. We all auditioned to double Chris. It wasn't like I just was given the job. We all auditioned for different spots. And ultimately I was going to be Captain America. The other guy was Iron Man. So like it was, he didn't give me anything. I mean, I had to earn it. So, and it was tough. That was a, that was a tough movie. And a lot of, again, you're, you're following some big shoes. They've done some great stuff and you're, Every day, like, God, I hope I don't mess it up because I don't want to be the guy that screwed up Captain America, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's that's a, that's a lot of weight on your shoulders there. Uh, again, the Marvel Universe, so successful, all those movies. And I love the fact that you got to fight your brother. So you mentioned you fought him in your, your you know, the first time Warrior back in Pittsburgh in 2009, that MMA movie. And then as Captain America, fighting Captain America, you guys do it again. And, and I've seen you talk about, too, extra special that your dad was on set and and had yeah. a chance to, to watch you guys fight each other. Yeah, that was one of the most memorable moments probably in my film career. I mean, uh, my dad and then one of our other friends from home and our chiropractor who'd been working on us since we were yay big and his, my dad's really good friend. They all came down on set. And so, yeah, that, that scene in the movie doesn't translate quite as big as what it was and from time constraints, but we had a huge scene and uh, big stair falls, big fights. It was pretty amazing. And, and just, we, well, we in the business we call it a previs. So, like we, you know, we'll we'll read the script. We talk to directors. We figure out what ultimately they want to see. Then the stunt team goes. We film it. We shoot a previs or a pre, uh, like a pre 
show of it. We would shoot all the fights. We put sound effects. We come up with a fight choreograph it. So we had pre-visited this fight and come up with mostly like a rough idea of what it was going to be. But he obviously was on set because he was stunt coordinating and second year directing this movie. So it was myself and this guy, Kyle McLean, who's one of my good buddies, the two Captain Americas. And, and we have our own style, but he has his own style. So it was pre-visited. And we had an idea of what we were going to do. But when we got on the set, the set was a little different than what we thought it was going to be. Sam was like, I'm not doing that. This is, we're going, we're doing what I want to do basically. Cause I'm, he was directing, he was directing the whole time he, we were fighting and just in charge. So, you know, we jive so well together. Uh, and luckily Chris had not really learned. And this is another to throw Chris. He's the most talented guy I've ever worked with. He, most actors will come in and train for weeks to learn a fight. Chris will come in the day we're shooting it, watch it. He'll go, Okay, show me again. Okay, I'll do it. And he just does it. And he's like, what? I, I've learned this for a week. And he's just so talented from his dance background. And he's just one of these guys. He's like a genius. So luckily we hadn't taught him a lot of fight because we got on the stage and Sam and I are like, oh, let's do this. Let's do this. And the guys just watching. And you know, we'd worked so much with these, this team of uh, stunt riggers who do all the wire work, Michael Huggins and uh, Greg Rementor, all these guys who are our best buddies. And they're watching and and we just flow like nothing's ever set in concrete. He's like, maybe we come off this wall, do this. And we, it's like just making stuff up. And the camera crew's just like watching us like, okay, these guys are nuts. So and my dad's watching. So we'd set up a scene, we'd rehearse it once we'd do it. And then we'd do something else. And it was just a, like a week of just clowning around with your best friend, your brother growing up with. And my dad's watching monitor like, Oh God. Cause we're both crashing downstairs and we're both just sitting there like, Oh my God. I, are we alive? <laughs> and I, I hit my head pretty hard. It looked worse than it was. I got slung down and bounced my head off the glass and everybody thought I was knocked out, but really my shoulder was hurt. I was just laying there, but, uh, you know, everybody's oh, my dad runs over there. I'm like, I'm fine. Just relax. This is what I do for a living. So. Yeah. It's, it's just part of the job, right? For, for you. Yeah. I, I've seen that scene, you know, you're going through the glass, you're going down, uh, uh, you know, several flights there. It's, it's, it's crazy what you do to your body. Um, how much do you, do you kind of take care of your body during, you know, when you're on set and then getting ready for a movie when you know, okay, this one in particular is going to have some, some pretty big stunts. Right. I, I got to make sure that I stay healthy during it. I, I know you've, you've talked before, I've seen it about, Hey, you don't want to be injured. You don't want to be the person that halts a production of a movie. Yeah. And unfortunately stunt people don't really, I mean, unless you're dead you're going to perform i guess if you're a lead double and i mean there are times when you can't go if you're too hurt they'll bring somebody else in but usually you know for these superhero movies we do get to where you have the option some they have a muscle suits like foam they they're terribly hot they're miserable so you try to bulk up as much as possible so you don't have to wear that but impact training like we train falls we you're always trying to hit the ground or we train judo or something that's the body's taking hits like not overdoing it but always it's just a totally different training because like if you like i've been coordinating now for the last couple of years i haven't hit the ground in a while if i hit the ground it hurts a hell of a lot more but it's just like any baseball or hitting or throwing you got to condition your arm you condition your body and on this show i did less because my son was newborn i was playing dad more but pretty much the whole show we'd go in in the morning say if we had a seven o'clock call time we'd go in at 5 a.m train you know we'd hit uh do the weights for an hour then we'd box or do some sort of martial arts and then we'd go work so you're you're basically pushing your body just to, you know, try to stay in shape, stay tight. And just, you know, you're going to get, you're going to get banged up. That's just the nature of the beast, but you just try to mitigate. And also we had a guy 
who was on the full run of the movie. Um, he was a physical therapist guy. He was one of the best I've ever worked with, which in hindsight, you know, in the baseball world, I wish there was more of this, a guy who, you know, you're doing what you can in college. Cause you know, it's, it's all about dollars and who they can afford, but just the nutrition side of it and having somebody who's working on your body, everybody's different is keeping the stretching and the, instead of just taking ibuprofen, like we used to just try to, it's more of a preventative measure. So we had this guy every Friday we'd get worked on and that was kind of what, your sanity kind of helped you go through. But I mean, I did, I get, I got busted up a few times. I, um, you know, pulled my hamstring and separated my shoulder, but I was the double. So I duct tape my arm together or I duct tape my leg and you just, it sucks, but you just do it. And then you laugh about it afterwards. Well, certainly you've taken to the business very well. And, and you mentioned the Taurus awards. You did win one for the scene in atomic blonde. Tell us about that. And, uh, cause I, I watched that as well. And you're, you're going down the stairway, uh, the stairwell there. And it's, uh, it seemed like you took some, some pretty big hits in that one. What was that like? That movie was so much fun. It was, uh, just the whole, the whole movie from start to finish. Cause, uh, Dave Leach who directed it, he's a former stunt man. So he's was the, one of the best stunt guys in the world. And now he's directing and he just has a great personality. He's fun to work with. He has a great vision, but he also holds you to a higher standard. He expects you to perform because he's been there, done that. And so we knew we had to sort of do something special and push the envelope on this movie. Hey, buddy. Okay, sorry, my. Come here, come say hi real quick. Is that Hendrix? Yeah, this is hi. Hendrix. Look, come here, say hi. Say hi. Oh, man. Was it four now? Eight. How old are you? Four. Yeah. Uh, All right, I'll be out there in just a minute, okay? My home is. We'll, okay, we'll get it back on here. I'll be out there in a second. Sorry, Mike. <laughs> future baseball, future uh, stunt man. What what is he? Man, I think he's gonna he's got huge hands and he's got big feet. I think he's gonna be a, an athlete. He he wants to get in the stunt world, but he's also a heck of a he has a heck of an arm and swings a mean bat. So we'll see what he wants to do. So certainly a, a bright future, the future uh, Hargrave out there. And yeah. I, you know, you mentioned him with stunts, but your your wife is, is a you know stunt woman as well. As you said, you guys worked together. You know, she wasn't, uh, I guess, going to school for that because you guys met at UNCW. How did that happen? Yeah, she was UNCW. She did communication studies as, as I did. And she was more, she took a lot of the uh, news class or like filmmaking. So she always loved that side of it. And then when we moved, we moved to Georgia to get into the business and she was training with me. I was doing stunts. She wasn't actively in there, but she kind of came from a background of racing her family was off-road racing and she's a great driver so her first job was doubling an actress uh, driving a car sliding a car doing a big slide 90 you know 90 degree slide and that's how she got her sad card and she's been doing it ever since she doubles um she worked a ton before the baby and then she should you know she's still a stay-at-home mom when she wants to but she can work as much as she wants to as well but she when hendrix was about a year she started back working and i hired her a bunch and now with the second baby, she's sort of doing the same thing, just a little recovery, and then she'll try to get back at her some. But yeah, she's she's talented. She's good, good fights and drives and sort of does everything. She's that good height and size to double a lot of actresses, so she's had a good career. How much time do you spend when, when you, you, know, you look at a script, you look at a stunt, to, to really get that stunt down, get it right, and make make sure it's safe. Obviously, again, you're a family man now. Your, your wife is doing it as well. You want to make sure that both of you are safe. How much time is spent looking at some of these different stunts to make sure? And, and do you ever say, no, that that's not going to work. I'm, I'm not going to do that. That's just way too dangerous. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's um, 
it depends on, um, you know, in my shoes now as a stunt coordinator, I'm always, my job is to break down stunts and what is written on paper doesn't always, you know, transcribe to what's on TV. Cause a lot of times writers either don't have any clue about fight stuff, but God bless them. But it's ultimately our job is to entertain the masses, but also everybody deserves to go home at the end of the day. So we try to do what we can to entertain people and do as big a stunt as we can, but also safety is always, always the main thing. Um, but there's so many measures we can take now with, you know, for being a big high fall, we're almost always on a wire these days. So you have a, a built-in security system there or the stuff you don't see on camera. We build, you know, 10 feet deep or 10 feet high by 40 feet wide of cardboard boxes with layers and the guys will fall into those. So they're, you know, you'll shoot them in the air, but then you're hitting a cushion. Um, I, to me, safety, I have luckily I've had a pretty good rap sheet as far as keeping guys safe. There are, there's always times things can go wrong, but, that is sort of what stunts are. If it was safe, the actors would do it. Stunts are dangerous acts that we're doing on camera, but everything is calculated to mitigate the risk. We want to do everything we can, even knowing there's a chance something gets hit. Like for instance, doing a car hit, you're hitting somebody with a car. There's there's no way to get around it. There's a person standing there and a car hits them. So one, you hopefully the people, you learn there's ways to tuck your shoulder or hit and try to go with the momentum of the car. Uh, lift your leg, don't leave your leg down, so you don't bust your knee. So, but at the same time, there's moments you just have to sort of cowboy up and say, okay, I'm about to get by a car. It's going to suck. It's written. It's going to be great. People are going to love it. And you nurse your wounds with your paycheck, I guess. <laughs> so, so not everything is character or, or, or uh, you know, generated these days. A lot of it is, is still actors doing this stuff. Yeah. There's still, I mean, with CG and, and computer everything can be made better and, and there's still things that you can't really fake. A, well, you can fake a car hit. We do it in a comp, like how we're a split screen. You would do it in a comp shot. Like we've, we've done it successfully. It still never translate quite as well as if you really do it, but there are ways to do things these days. You know, you would just have an actor there on a wire and on a lock off camera, yank him out of the frame and then keep the camera there and drive the car in the same frame. Then you just sort of combine them, but we still light guys on fire. They do fire burns, which, you're covered in uh, fire gel and a fire suit on, but you're still, you're on fire. So physically on fire, they're um, getting hit by cars, uh, fights. I mean, there's stuff that's still, you know, that's why and we crash the car crashes. We, that's one of the, probably the craziest and most fun stunt to do. You're in a full roll cage, you're in helmet, fireproof suit, harnesses, your mouthpiece. I mean, you're basically strapped in this thing. And it's honestly, it's the craziest one to watch. Any type of car crash is crazy visually, but it's one of the safest, stunts to do and more guys who there's like special guys who only crash cars these days a lot of them are the older guys who they can't physically do all the running the fighting and stuff but they can still crash cars they push the pedal and they hang on and you know because you're strapped in there so like again stuff can go wrong but you know we we laminate the glass and or take glass out and there's so much preparation that goes in to try to save these guys um it's crazy and it's the most crazy adrenaline rush you'll ever have and after you crash a few cars on camera you just it's makes you like, why the hell do we drive without a helmet and a harness and, you know, drive down the road? I've seen what can happen. It's kind of crazy to think about your average people. But yeah, I mean, you mentioned the adrenaline rush. You mentioned earlier about playing football you wanted to catch. So again, that kind of correlates it to your career now. What, what's next in your career? What are, you, what are you hoping to do? What do you want to do? Um, obviously, you know, Captain America is kind of off of the Marshall, the, um, the, the Marvel Universe at right yeah. now, as far as we know. So, uh, you know, maybe you're not doubling Chris Evans, but uh, what is in the future for you? 
I'm kind of in a, I've the last couple of years sort of transitioned. Um, after John Wick three, I was on that show doubling Keanu some and just being part of the fight team. I had the opportunity to stunt coordinate the TV show MacGyver. So I'm really not performing much anymore. I'm hiring, doing more of the, it's basically coaching. I do all the meetings, computer work, hiring, uh, behind the scenes stuff. And then I design the stunts, keep the guys safe. And, uh, physically it's less demanding. You know, I'm not, I'm not getting beat up anymore mentally. It's a little more challenging, but I enjoy it. And then I'm also directing now, uh, part of the director's guild at second unit directing is what it's called. So action directing, car chases, fights. Uh, ultimately I would like to, to direct. My brother has made that transition. He's shooting his, his sequel right now on Netflix extraction too. So he, he made his way there. He's, uh, directing i'm not in a huge rush to direct because i really enjoy i mean this is totally different from the second unit or action unit versus the acting because i enjoy the art of uh acting as well but second unit you're, you're blowing up stuff you're crashing cars you're shooting all the fun stuff and it's a whole lot less dealing with i don't have to talk to the actors agents or deal with their scheduling i'm with my stunt guys so basically i'm it's like being at the baseball field with my team you know we're there the guys you're used to dealing with you're your camaraderie, you go in there, you blow stuff up, you have a great time and you go home. So it's, it's honestly the best. I mean, every day I'm there, it's, it's kind of uh, surreal that this is my job and I get paid to do this. So, you know, it, it is, there are long days and you know, we might work 12, 16 hours a day, but it's, you know, when you get home, you've hopefully done something to, we're not curing cancer or doing anything crazy, but I would like to think that, you know, filmmaking, sometimes it helps me. You are entertaining people, and especially in a time like now when people are, if they're locked in their house or they can't get out, if we can entertain people or give people, if it's a movie, uh, two hours of joy or an escape from reality or a TV show, if it's 30 minutes or, you know, they don't have to think about real life and they can watch us do stuff. That's kind of what keeps pushing us to do our art form. And it's kind of enjoyable. Well, it's, it's amazing. Again, uh, something that you never thought you would do. And, and now, you, you know, you're well versed, obviously, in the business and, and trying to move your way up and, and, and be a director as well. So uh, it, it's amazing uh, to see the success you've had. I know uh, a lot of folks at UNCW and UNCW Baseball certainly proud. And it's, it's great to watch these movies and say, yeah, I, I know that guy right there. You know, I, I was in a class the other day. I said, you know, Captain America is from UNCW. And somebody said, Chris Evans? I said, well, kind of, yeah. yeah, Daniel Hargrave. So yeah. uh, you've certainly made a name for yourself. As you said, that Hargrave name uh, carries a lot of weight in, in Hollywood these days. And uh, I, I can't thank you enough for spending some time with us here today and, and sharing your stories and certainly your, your baseball memories with us as well, Daniel. Yeah, man, and, I, and just you know, hearing your it's, – it's crazy that your voice, like when I think of UNC, UNCW sports, it's, it's your voice and your personality. I just – these are memories that, you know, with you guys and, and, and Tom Reardon and the coaches, I just, it's memories that I'll never forget. And just, it, it was four years went so fast in Wilmington and, and the camaraderie, just that, that place was just like really home. I mean, once I went there, I didn't really ever move back home where my parents are. I sort of, that was my life. And you sort of build off that. And just, I, you know, I think a lot of probably my success in this field comes from baseball, like just the, the lessons, the, I, probably the best thing about the coaches there was they were tough. I mean, they were, they were, they were fair, but they were tough. They wanted you to be a, a good young man. They wanted you to learn, be, you know, have manners, be on time. I mean, Jimmy Mayhew, he's not there anymore, but he was the strength coach. And I remember you hear stories before you even get to college. If you're late, you run till you throw up and you, 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 I was never late. Um, 
and it just teaches you discipline. And I think that, you know, Coach Scaff, people joke around with him all the time or make the way he talks or his, his, you know, he has all these one-liners. He could write a book of just scaphisms, but, you know, pay attention to detail or little things. And you're like, oh, my God, I hear this again. But paying attention to details where I am where today because I, on set, I watch the camera guys. I watch every department, see what they do. How do I make their job easier? You know, it's just take when people, these guys are there for a reason. They're, they're not just baseball coaches or guys telling you what to do. They're life coaches. And if you can just listen and you hear, and even if you learn one thing that could, could, you know, help you in the, in your future. And then just the relationships you like, I'm so honored to be back on your show. It's like, I, I love being with you guys, talking to you guys. And if I can ever do anything for you, let me know. All right, Daniel, that's uh, awesome. Uh, again, best of luck to you with your family and, and your career as well. We'll continue to watch and, and watch the progress uh, of your son. And, and maybe again, Hendricks Hargrave, remember that name, maybe a future star either on the baseball field or, or uh, in the movies as well. That's right. I appreciate it, Mike. And you guys have a great day. Well, again, my thanks to Daniel Hargrave for joining us here today and sharing his stories with us, his time at UNCW and now in Hollywood as a stuntman and a director and his time with the Marvel Universe doubling for Chris Evans, Captain America. My thanks as well to uh, current UNCW head baseball coach Randy Hood for helping connect us with Daniel Hargrave here today. Once again, we remind you to subscribe, like these podcasts. We'll have more great interviews and episodes coming up very shortly. Thanks for joining us here today. We'll see you next time on another edition of In the Front Row with Mike Vaccaro. Have a great day.